Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, so I just want to uh, share an experience that I had. I, I was uh, f fortunate enough to be at a, a very special wedding this week. And, and the wedding was really out in, 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 the, in the middle of nowhere. Um, it was like a very long drive. Uh, and, and there were actually miles before we got there, all the lights, sort of like there were no lights on the, on the roads anymore. It was very remote. There was no cell phone service. There were cliffs on the sides of the road. And I remember as I was driving there, I was convinced that I, I must be going in the wrong direction. And I don't know if... Well, I, I know I personally go through a lot of life whenever I go to someplace new, thinking this, this can't be the right way. And then thinking, even if it is the right way, how is anyone else going to find this place? So, but everyone found it, thank God, and, and we got there. It was sort of, it wasn't exactly in the middle of the woods, but, but it was on a campground, which was pretty remote. And um, anyway, the, the, the chuppah was, was absolutely just amazing. And uh, the whole thing, the whole thing was amazing, actually. And, and it was really, it was, it was, it was super, just super high, just super, super spiritual. And, and then something interesting happened, which is what I want to share with you right now, which is that not, not long after the, the chuppah took place, and the chuppah lasted, I think, an hour, and it was like an hour-long chuppah, after the chuppah ended, I walked by where, where, where the wedding had taken place. The chuppah, of course, is the sort of like that, that place where the the, the chassan and kala, the bride and groom, stand. And the there was just the area was one platform, and it was completely cleared of everything, except there was a, a heap of a of a velvet curtain that I guess had been used to form the chuppah, just laid in a, a heap on the ground, and that was it. And, and it was like, it was like all evidence of, of what had just taken place, this incredible event, had just completely vanished. And, and um, you know, here was this, this portal, literally like this portal between heaven and earth that was taking place. And then just in the snap of the finger, it was, it was, it was gone. And to me, it was just sort of like this, this weird kind of like x-ray moment of, of just the, the reality that we live in. I'll give you another example. Just we'll develop this further. But just if you can imagine, like, the porthole was there, and then it was gone. You know? So, so at, at Mount Sinai, which was sort of like the epic chuppah place between heaven and earth, where the Torah came down, Hashem instructs Moshe to tell everybody that to the, to the two to three million people who are gathered there, if anyone touches the mountain, they'll die. Like the, the level of um, Kedusha, of holiness, was so extreme that no one was allowed to touch the mountain. But then, after the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, anyone could touch the mountain, anyone could climb the mountain, and the sanctity, in other words, it happened there, but the status of the sta sanctity of that place no longer exists. Anyone, like for instance, if you wanted to go behind where the, where the uh, Holy Wall is in Jerusalem, where the Western Wall is, the Kotel, there are all sorts of halakhic issues, um, whether you can go behind there, because what, what, what people call the Temple Mount. 
Some people say yes, some, some people say no. It's, it's a very complicated halachic issue because there's a level of sanctity there that even though the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple, isn't built there right now, nonetheless the ground there has a certain enduring status. Not the case with Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, it's like it was there, the most unbelievable happening happened, and then anyone could just climb the mountain, goats could run around the mountain, you know, no issue whatsoever. In other words, to compare it to the chuppah, it was there, and then it was gone. Now, by the way, that, that was for a very deliberate reason. Because um, you'll see in every aspect of the giving of the Torah, God is like extremely um, exact about not limiting the scope of the Torah. So in other words, if you thought, if, if, if Mount Sinai kept its status as the place, then it would be like, oh, that's where we keep the Torah, but nowhere else. In other words, the, the, the point of that is the universality of the, of the, of the Torah. And, and by the way, that's why um, all of the dates of the major uh, Torah holidays, Pesach is written in the Torah itself, the 15th day of Nisan, uh, the month of Nisan. Sukkot is the 15th day of the month of Tishrei. But Shavuos, which is the giving of the Torah itself, it just says, you celebrated 50 days after we left Egypt. In other words, there's no date on the calendar. It's the same, the same idea that you're not limiting it in time and space by, by targeting a date on the calendar because it's every single moment all of the time. Okay. So, so now let's just take this one step further, just trying to make it very real in terms of our own lives. Like this idea of the portal is there, then it's gone. So I was walking back from Shul Friday night uh, with my brother-in-law and um, just somehow, I, I don't know what it is, you know, just the, the weather was just like for both of us, it was just both of our sweet spot. It was like, it was just cool and it was, it was just great. Just, it was, it was like fantastic. We were walking and, you know, the streets were empty. We're in the neighborhood we were walking in and it was just, I don't know, there was, there's something kind of magical about it. And then at the end of the meal, as I'm leaving their house, I said, uh, I said to him, do you remember that walk back from shul tonight? And I was sort of semi-joking, but semi-not joking. Because do you remember, if you begin a question with do you remember, you're usually going back weeks, months, years, right? Not a few hours ago, you know? So he was like trying to figure out what I was talking about. Do I remember the walk back? And then, but he hadn't. That, that, that's the point. I was like, don't you remember how amazing it was? He was like, oh yeah, it was amazing, it was amazing. But, but it was gone already. And then he says back to me, do you remember the chocolate chip cookies from dinner? <laughs> and I, had, I didn't remember, and that was even sooner than the walk, and I had eaten these cookies, and I was saying at the table, these cookies are amazing, they're so good. And yet somehow, somehow that was gone in my head, you know? So, 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 God is giving us these, these kisses, like, like on a regular basis, but somehow our minds like don't hold, hold on to them, you know? And, and, and so let's, let's start to get into what that process is, what that rational faculty is. Because at the beginning of this week's Parsha, 
Parshas Ekev, there's, um, there's, there's a famous Rashi. So it says, Vahaya Ekev Tishmu'un El Mishpatim, and it goes on. And in, in English it says, This shall be the reward when you hearken to these Mishpatim, these ordinances, and you observe and perform them. So, okay, so, so Rashi says if you if you listen if 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 you if you perform these mishpatim right these ordinances so so famously he says what what are those those are the mitzvahs that you take very lightly that you step on with your heel because akev is is your heel it's it's a it's a word that can be translated a number of different ways but it includes your heel so if you listen to these ordinances, well, it's talking about the heel of your foot. So Rashi's kind of triangulating and putting them all together, and he goes, oh, which ordinances? The, one, the ones that you would normally step on with your heel. What mitzvahs would you step on with your heel? Mitzvahs that you take lightly. So if those things that you don't normally take seriously, if those things you take seriously and you're careful to do them, then, then these tremendous rewards will follow. Okay, that's sort of like the Torah logic behind the whole thing. So, but what I find fascinating about this is that the category of mitzvahs, the, the mitzvahs, as you know, are, are divided up into different categories. We have edus. These are things that are reminders of events that have happened, like holidays, right? Um, we have mishpatim, which are what we're talking about right now. These are what's usually called the, the more rationally based mitzvot, like things that all societies around the world have intuitively arrived at, like don't steal, don't murder, things like this. Then you have chukim. Chukim are like the wild ones that are sort of like, they're, they're not unrational or irrational, they're super rational, meaning to say that, um, they, that the mind only can comprehend the infinite to a certain extent, right? Like for instance, a cup of water can't hold the entire ocean, right? So the mind, as great as it is, is still finite compared to the infinity of God. And so the mind can only hold so much, but there are things beyond what the mind can grasp. That's what the chukim address. So for instance, um, don't mix wool and linen in your garment. Why? Like, like who cares? Like, you know, yeah, like, you know, really. So, but this is somehow addressing something which is beyond our mind. So those are the chukim. By the way, kashrus, even though like a lot of people give explanations for kashrus, it's good to know that kashrus is a chok. It's, it's part of the chukim, you know? And, and by the way, they say, um, the rabbis teach regarding pork, don't say pork is disgusting. You say pork is delicious, but what can I do? My father in heaven told me not to eat. Right? Because if you needed... If you needed a rational basis for not eating pork, especially today when they say that, well, at one point it caused trigonosis, but today it doesn't cause trigonosis. But that's not what it is. It's a hulk. It's a hulk. It's beyond the rational. So you say, what can I do? My father in heaven told me not to eat it. That's, it's, that's the beginning and end of it. But what we're talking about right now is this category called the mishpatim. These are the ones that you can grasp with your mind. Now, what I find so fascinating about this is that there seems to be a correlation here, according to Rashi, 
between those mitzvahs that you step on with your foot and this category that's listed here, the mishpatim. In other words, in other words, that which I understand, I seem to be taking lightly. That which I understand, I seem to be taking lightly because that's the category of mitzvahs that we that Rashi seems to be pointing to are the mitzvahs that you step on in your foot because you consider them small in your eyes. Okay, so why would that be? So I remember a story that I heard from Rabbi Wein that I like very much, and I wish I could tell you the name of the rabbi, but he's one of the great rabbis of the 20th century. And one of his specialties, the way Rabbi Wein said it, was to take phenomenally complex ideas and to make them very clear so that they could be understood. So he was, um, you know, um, trying out to be the, the Rav of a certain community, and he gave, a, you know, he gave a, a, a Torah speech, and the, um, the members of the community, um, I guess the leader of the community came up to him afterwards and said to him that, you know, he didn't get the job, and, and, and explained to him that their previous rabbi, now remember, I don't know who the previous rabbi was, but the previous rabbi couldn't even compare to the genius of this rabbi that just spoke, right? So he said, no, you have to understand, our previous rabbi was much greater than you. When he gave a talk, no one understood what he was talking about. <laughs> so you see here, you see here something very, a, a fascinating insight into the way we think and the way we comprehend things that to the extent that we, you know, Groucho Marx famously said, I would never become a member of a club that would accept me as a member. <laughs> I would never join a club that would accept me as a member. <laughs> like, if you want me, then clearly you're not good enough. <laughs> right? So you see this cognitively, you know, in terms of the way we conceptualize things, that if I understand it, oh, it's, it's, it must be peanuts. This must be something that I can step on and I can, you know, disregard and everything like that, you know? If I don't understand any of it, okay, then I'm on board, you know? So, so, let's, let, let's take another perspective on this. So, obviously, on some level, we have to value that, that, which it is that we know and not disregard that which we're capable of understanding. See, I'll tell you something. Let's, let's go deeper. And then we'll try to get into a solution. Um, you know, in, the, in, in Gan Eden, and we're going to talk about Gan Eden in a moment, but in Gan Eden, in the Garden of Eden, you had the Eitz Chaim, that was the tree of life, and then you had the Eitz Hadas, the tree of knowledge. And everybody knows that when we eat from the tree of knowledge, it brought death into the world. Okay? So I heard Reb Shlomo say, um, and this always stayed with me hugely, that, that there's a certain type of knowledge that, that brings death with it. And what he was talking about is, you know, like when, I, when he married my wife and I, he gave us a blessing that we should always surprise each other. Um, that doesn't mean like you jump out in the dark and go, ah! You know? <laughs> like, what a great blessing. Thank you, Rabbi. You know, terrified of my wife. You know? so, <laughs> it's, that, it's that 
that we should avoid this trap of thinking that we know each other so well that that because once once you once that happens a certain death creeps into the relationship if you think you know the other person so well and there's a story I, I've told you a million times but I'll tell you again which is that I was once staying with this couple that were fighting like cats and dogs it was amazingly uncomfortable and uh, I was with her in the car as he was walking toward the car and it just this is like sort of like semi-traumatized me I think that's why I keep on telling this story as he was walking toward the car she said look he's going to touch his nose he's going to touch his nose he's going to touch his nose just look just look he's going to touch his nose and he, he didn't touch his nose but it was it, the, the thing was so she knew him so well she knew him so well that she knew exactly the moment when he was going to touch his nose and he didn't touch his nose you know, really, it was heartbreaking, heartbreaking, you know? Um, this is the idea of knowing that is like the uh, Eitzhadas form of knowing, the type of knowing that brings death into the world, the, de- the type of knowing that can kill a relationship, you know? And a lot of us, unfortunately, have that even more fundamentally with um, God, where we're convinced that we know what God is going to do in this instance and what God is going to do in that instance, or what, you know, but, but God is full of surprises. I mean, just look at history. Look at your own life. You'll see that God is full of surprises. You know, of course he is, because he's beyond us. And also, this is a type of death which is even more, like, even more sort of, like, searingly, is, is a form of death that we often experience with ourselves, where we limit ourselves by saying, I know what I am, and I know what I'm capable of. And to a certain extent, a, a form of self-knowledge and a form, a, a, a knowledge of one's capacities is very, very important, because you, 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 know, you don't want to show up for surgery when you haven't gone to medical school. <laughs> You're like saying, you got... I can do brain surgery. Why should I limit myself? I heard this talk this morning, and now I'm a brain surgeon. You know, I mean, you know, you don't want to be a fool. You don't want to, like, wildly, you know, exaggerate what your level of skill is. But at the same time, you don't want to know yourself in that Eitzhadas type way, where you've decided that you're not capable of certain things that you absolutely are capable of. Just because you haven't done them in the past doesn't mean that you're not going to do them in the future. So, so, so now let's go back to this idea. Remember, Rashi is talking about that, that, that there are certain mitzvahs that we step on, and then the Torah goes on and, and, and talks about the mishpatim, those ones which, which we can know rationally, like don't steal, don't, 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 don't kill, things like that. And, and there seems to be this correlation between that which we understand and that which we devalue, right? Because it's sort of like, you know, once, once, I, once I know it, then how great can it be? The, the previous rabbi was greater, and he wasn't greater. When he speaks, I, I don't understand it. I haven't got a clue of what he's saying. So, so Reb Shlomo, so this is now we're going to start to get into to some solutions here. Um... Reb Shlomo said that usually 
Um, the time that you love a person the most, oftentimes, is when you miss them. So this is, this is a fascinating insight into human nature, that, that oftentimes when you're not with someone is when you love them the most, because you're longing for them and everything like that. And then a lot of times, like someone's on a trip, you're missing them, missing them, and then they get there and it's like, somehow, I don't know, you know, it's sort of like, you're being like petty and nasty with each other. I was just loving you like crazy a moment ago. And it's like, now that I'm with you, you know, it's like, there's, there, it's very strange. It's very strange. So Rabbi Shlomo said that, that, that the highest form of, of like loving each other is when you can be on the level of missing them when they're right there, right? Like if you can combine those two things, because then you're sort of like longing for the person who you're in the presence of. That's, that's a very high level. That's, a, that's really like a love affair going on at that moment when that's going on, okay? So, so what, I'm, what I, I'm trying to make an, a, a, an analog here, I'm trying to make a comparison with the idea of of, of knowing con- co- cognitively. In other words, if, if we can approach those things that we understand, that's like when they're right there, but then we can approach them with the level of missing, right? Like, like we can almost take that idea of not knowing and applying it to the things that we know. Then we realize, then all of a sudden, we're appreciating these things that we know in a, in a brand new way. So how do you get to that place? How do you get to that place? So how you get to that place is realizing that thing that you think you know, you really don't know. You know? That there's so much more there. That thing that you think you know, you really don't know. I'll give you a beautiful example of this. On Simchas Torah. Simchas Torah is when we finish the, the whole Torah. Right? And, and then we have a big celebration and we're dancing. And interestingly, we're not learning Torah on Simchas Torah. So here we are, we're, we're celebrating the Torah. So you would think, well, what's it going to be? It's going to be like round-the-clock shirim, like, like amazing classes, and, you know, that, that's what Simcha's Torah is going to be, because we finished the Torah. So what is the Katzka Rebbe saying? Something amazing. He says, what are we... And that's not what happens. We're just dancing with the Torah, and the Torah is, is clothed, meaning to say that the, the, the velvet um, mantle is, is on the Torah scroll. So it seems a little bit interesting, but, but we'll explain in a second. So the Kutzka Rebbe says, what are we celebrating on Simchas Torah? We're celebrating the fact that we got to the end of the Torah and we realized we haven't even begun it yet. See, that's this idea of knowing but not knowing. Or realizing that you know a certain extent, but even within the category of that which you know, you have an appreciation that there's so much more that you don't know. And that's the idea that we're dancing with it. That's like Eitz Chaim. That's like Tree of Life. What's, what's more life, you know, you know giving than, than dancing? But interestingly, we're dancing with the Torah shrouded because it's got a cover over it because here we're, we finished it, but we're saying it's still closed to us. We still don't know what's going on inside of it. Because it's wrapped up, it's sealed off. So, so now let's go deeper. So the Mayor of Hashemish, one of the great Hasidic masters, so 
he says, it, remember, we're going back to the Pasuk, Vahaya Ekev, and, and, and it's going to be, Vahaya is, is um, the Gomorrah says, whenever a, a verse, a, a Pasuk starts with the word Vahaya, something good is happening, right? Some, so it's a very positive thing. Now, Ekev means your, your heel. Remember, Rashi said that your heel is, is referring to the stuff that you're stepping on because you, you know it so well, right? Because it's, it's become familiar to you. So, so, so we're saying that, that we want to get to this place, this good place, this Vahaya place, where we realize that even the Mishpatim, even those things that we think we know, are completely beyond, beyond, beyond us. Even the stuff, the stuff that we'll be able to miss it while we're in the presence of it. That there will be a longing for that aspect which on some level we know, but now we want to get deeper and we realize we don't even know what we think we know. So now with this in mind, listen to this amazing thing from the Mayor of Hashemesh. He says, Akev, which we're translating as heel, this category of mitzvahs, it's, it's spelled ayin, kuf, vez, and he says it stands for Eden, like the Garden of Eden, that's the ayin. Uh, the kuf stands for uh, uh, kodem means before, and the base stands for um, brios, the the creation. So the Garden of Eden that existed before the world was created. <laughs> now the Gemara says there are certain things that existed before the world was created, and one of them is this heavenly aspect of the Garden of Eden that existed before the world was created. So, so the mayor of Hashemesh says that Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, had a, a, a quantumly higher, this is before they ate from the tree of knowledge, before the world itself became concealed and enwrapped in materiality and nature, right? That they had this quantumly higher view of the Torah itself, which, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? This is wild. I'm not going to learn out the details for you. But which the Gomorrah says that the Torah is 3,200 times bigger than the world itself. Okay, just file that away. Maybe we'll get more into it another <laughs> another class. But I'll repeat it because it's just wild that the Torah, this is from the Talmud, okay, that the Torah itself is 3,200 times the world itself, larger than the world itself. The Torah is quantumly larger than the world. Okay? So, 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 and so, so this, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Chava had a view of the Torah. And they saw that even those things that they thought that made sense rationally were so much bigger were so much bigger, that all the mitzvahs themselves were so much bigger, and the understanding of them was so huge. So, so now let's get into the reward aspect of it. So again, it's not just a, a, a mental trick we're playing on ourselves, or, or sort of like a, a coaching technique, that the way I can appreciate those things that I think I understand, like the people in my life, Hashem, myself, the mitzvahs, 
that I can, if I understand that there's so much more to them than I grasp, then I can begin to, to really make much more headway into them. Okay, so, so that's one level. That's one level. But, 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 but that's because all those things really are bigger. You see, it's not like, oh, just think of them as bigger. Think of your Honda as a Rolls Royce. Okay, that's nice, but it's not a Rolls Royce. <laughs> but if you think of the Mishpatim, if you think of the Mishpatim as something that are like gateways into something that's thousands of times larger than the world, that actually is the case. It actually is the case. You know? You're, we have to, it's not like, okay, you know, give it the benefit of the doubt. No, recognize the fact that you're radically underappreciating things that you think that you understand because God just wired our brains with this bias that once we think we understand something, we limit the value of it. All right, now listen, let's get into the reward for this because I'm just going to read you just a few lines from the Torah here and you'll see that this is like really amazing, okay? So it, it says that if you keep these mitzvahs that you would normally... Um, step on, so to speak, devalue. It says, I'm just reading now, God will safeguard you, the covenant and the kindness that he swore to your forefathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. And he will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain, your wine, and your oil, the offspring of your cattle and the flocks of your sheep and goats on the land that he swore to your forefathers to give you. You will be the most blessed of all the peoples there will be no infertile male or infertile female among you or among your animals. Hashem will remove from you every illness and all the bad maladies of Egypt that you knew. He will not put them upon you, but will put them upon all your foes. Um, uh, and, and it goes on. So, so, so this is, wow, this is an, an amazing, you know, amazing downpouring of, 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 of blessings. So what's, what's interesting is, that uh, that and and now I, I want to just make a, a slight clarification so that you you, you understand the, the 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 fullness of this point right now. Rashi only says the mitzvahs that you treat lightly, right? Now I added on this whole idea of the mishpatim, the the rationally based ones, because that's the next word in the pasuk. But Rashi himself doesn't limit them to those things that we rationally understand. He's a little bit more general, a little bit more open-ended. Rashi just says, those mitzvahs that you take lightly and you just step on, okay? Just an important distinction what we've been saying up until now and what Rashi is saying. Just anything that you step on lightly. Now you say, okay, well, wow, I want to get those blessings. Like, who doesn't want to get those blessings? So what mitzvah do I have to do? So what does it say exactly? And so I heard from Rabbi Dunner in the name of his grandfather. He says, very fascinatingly, Rashi doesn't tell you. He just says anything that you treat lightly, those mitzvahs that you treat lightly and that you step on. So what he derives from this, and I thought this was an amazing point, and I want to go further into this. Um, if that was a sneeze, God bless. <laughs> Sometimes sneezes sound like coughs, you know. Anyway, so... So he says, that's the whole point. Rashi isn't telling you any, any specifics. 
because it's dependent on each individual person. Because some people take something, a particular mitzvah, incredibly seriously, and other people kind of dismiss the importance of that. Right? Or you take something seriously, but other things that you don't take seriously. So those type of things that you individually don't take seriously. And he was saying further that certain generations have prioritized certain mitzvahs, but other ones have been lax in that generation. And so whether it's a generational thing, whether it's you individually, whatever it is, those things that seem to be sort of like dismissed, and each person will be able to answer this for themselves. Though, If you do those things with um, a certain amount of care, right, or, or more care, or you don't step on them or dismiss them, those are the things that um, will be very, uh, will bring a lot of blessing into your life. And I thought that was a fascinating thing. So now that ends the thought I heard from Rabbi Dunner in the name of his grandfather. And now I want to continue with it in terms of how we can apply this in our life. So I think that um, this is really true. I really think that this is true. And But I, I want to give a lot of caveats, a lot of like, you know, blinking red, you know, caution signs to this teaching and try to contextualize it. Because this can be a, you know, like just the speed ramp to neurosis. <laughs> and so I want to make sure that I really shine a very large light on that because if you know me and you know any of these talks, you know that I'm into, I try to be into spiritual balance, you know, like to take tremendous care in terms of our relationship, but not to get freaky. You know what I'm saying? We don't, we're not advocating people being spiritually imbalanced. We want integration. We want integration and, and, and spiritual and mental health. Very, very important. So what are we talking about the little things? So you say, oh, that little thing, now I'm all neurotic, now I'm thinking about this and that and this detail and what about this, and now I'm worried, wait, there were the blessings promised, but I didn't do this. Ah! You know, this is not what we want. <laughs> this is absolutely not what we want, right? So, so, I'll give you an example, just because I, I think I should probably give one for my own life. And just because this happened yesterday, uh, I'll say yesterday. Maybe, so you, you get a sense at least of what I'm talking about. Okay. So, um, they were during, I guess, at the end of the Torah service yesterday, they were bringing the Torah back to the Ark. And there's something that we say, there's a, there's a psalm that we say as the Torah is going back into the Ark. And... I had to do something, I don't remember what it was, but I had to take care of something. So I had to leave the room, and then I came back, and I saw that that little section of the davening, right, which I really say all the time, I didn't say. Okay. Okay, fine. So, so it just kind of stuck in the back of my mind that I wanted to say it, but there, there, there just wasn't a chance to say it. Okay. So then, at the end of Shabbos, right, we finished finished Marv at the end of Shabbos, and I had it in my head, oh, you know, there was that thing that I didn't say that I wanted to say, right? And it's kind of like in two sections. It's, there's a one longer one, and then there's a little PS where we say Hashivenu. It's a little shorter. So I thought, you know, it would be nice to say. <laughs> I thought, oh, I just had a really long Shabbos, and I, I'd like to go home. You know? And I thought, you know, but it would really be nice to say. I, 
I always say it, it would be nice to say. And then I thought, all right. So I walked to the ark and I looked at it and it's like, it's like a whole, almost like a whole page, like three quarters of a page out of the sitter. And I was like, I'll just say the bottom part there, the shorter part. <laughs> and even that was hard to say, honestly, because I was really tired. But I said the bottom part. I didn't say the longer top part. And I left. So, so what, what I'm trying to say to you here, and I felt good that I had said anything at all. Right? So, so what I'm trying to say is that I didn't push myself to the point of like, okay, you happy God, I said it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, had I, had I said that whole long thing, there wouldn't have been any love coming out of me. It would have been some weird form of resentment. And it's like, why even bother? Like, seriously, like, okay, now if it comes to, you know, if it comes to, and especially since this was like a, a bonus, 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 level. You know what I'm saying? You know, this was not like, um, yeah, happy God, I didn't drive my car on Shabbos. Like that, if you cannot drive your car on Shabbos, don't drive your car on Shabbos. Like that's a little more of a basic level. You know, and if you're angry about doing that, then you should, absolutely should talk to someone about it because the basic stuff, you know, is something that ideally you're doing with a full heart. And if it's not, then you should definitely talk to someone about that because this is not meant to be like some sort of like weird penalty of like, you know, like, okay, you know, like, like you, like God's a loan shark and, you know, like, you know, I'm lucky to be in this world, but I got to pay God off. Otherwise, you know, he's going to send the goons against me. You know what I mean? Like if that's one's mentality, that's a problem. That's a, that's a problem. And you, you have to work through that. You have to work through that. What I'm talking about is like, when you're like really trying to do something extra because you're in a love relationship. And when you're in this love relationship, you want to do more. But you have to make sure that you manage what that more is. You have to, you have to be careful with how you do the more. And you yourself will know when it gets into that place where it's sort of like starting to arouse like negative feelings. Right? But if it's in that place where you can actually add incrementally or or just take some of the things that like, like for instance, Asher Yatsar, the blessing after we go to the bathroom. I know I'm guilty of just rattling it off. And I'm sure if, you know, you transcribed what I said, you know, uh, dude, man, there are like nine words missing from that word. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, like I could, I could definitely see how that would be the case. But, you know, if you, if you just take an extra moment with those things, things that, that would just be, you know, stuff that you would step on, right? And stuff that, that when you end up doing that, you're, 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 you're not doing it from a place of neurosis, but you're doing it from a place of love. I think that's what Rashi is talking about, that those are the things that then trigger tremendous blessing because God sees that sort of like there's a care that's coming, but it's a care that's coming from a place of love, not from some weird psychological malady, right? So, so hopefully that's putting that whole Rashi into context and everything like that. Okay, I want to tell you one more thing. 
And um, just back to the wedding, just something that, that was, uh, I just, I, I felt like, uh, we were sharing it yesterday, um, but I felt like I, I got a, a, a peek behind the curtain of this world, right? And I know that sounds a little bit, you know, uh, I don't get a chance to use this word too often, a little hyperbolic, <laughs> a little over the top. But just stay with me and you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying. Um, so there's, uh, and, 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 and this hopefully will be nice besides the experience I want to share. There, the, you, you'll see a nice teaching that hopefully you can hold on for, for uh, future weddings or your own wedding or whatever it is. Because this, will, this is something that uh, is nice to know. Um, so, the, the, the way um, a, a Jewish wedding lays out is you have something called the, uh, the chassan's tish, right? So what's that? That's where the, the groom, where, 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 where the, the, the man is sitting with the, with the other men, and, um, uh, and then the bride is, is waiting in a different part of the hall or property or whatever it is, and she's getting ready for the groom who's being escorted by, you know, his, his sort of like entourage to come to the bride and to cover her face. That's called the bedeckin, the covering of the face. And I'll tell you something absolutely awesome. Keep this in mind, remember this. I learned this from Reb Shlomo, that when the chassan lowers the veil over the bride's face, all the souls of their children are coming down at that moment. Okay, so it's like a time where you really can intensely daven for your children, right? Very, very beautiful thing to know. Okay, anyway, so the chassan's tish, um, most chassan's tishes that I've been to, for the, for the most part, are like, you know, it's, it's pretty much where you're signing the, 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 uh, the ketubah and things like this. And, um, you know, there's a little cake, a little liquor. Sometimes people will dance a little bit. But the, the chassan's tish at this wedding, you know, in the middle of Mal- deep into, like, the, the mountainous area of Malibu, was unbelievable. There were no lights. There were lit lanterns. The, the Ostrava Rebbe, the Biala Rebbe, was, was leading it. The people were singing at the top of their lungs. They were singing Avinu Malkeno. They were singing all these Nagunum. It was, it, was, it was magical. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Now, there wasn't a formal time set for when the chuppah was t- to take place, but to the extent that there was a formal time, it had already been now hours later. <laughs> so it was really it's getting on the late side. And sort of word arrived from the, uh, from the bride's uh, quarters that, you know, Let's go, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so the message was communicated that it's time to, it's time to actually proceed, you know, and, and this is going to happen now. Okay, so now let's get a little Kabbalistic, if you will, just in terms of um, the ordering of the spherot and things like that, so we can understand, we can contextualize that, the event that I'm describing to you. And this is the good thing to... Remember, keep this in mind, because this is a good thing to know just in general. So, we, when, when we talk about the structure of the universe, like what's the, what's the cosmic map, so to speak? So we talk about ten spherot. 
And basically the spherot are categories of Hashem's light, of Hashem's energy that he uses to create the world. Sort of like the spiritual ingredients in terms of the, the creation of the world, okay? But they're like forms of light and energy and things like this. And, and you can look them up, you can see that they're mapped out and they're ordered and they have different definable, you know, um, you know uh, personalities, if you will, okay? There you go, there's a beautiful map right there. So now there, there, there are ten, ten sphera, and those ten can be divided up into, into two categories, two main categories, the upper three and the lower seven. So the upper three are already so divine that, you know, they don't relate to us so much, okay? But they're there, and you can study and talk about them and learn amazing things from them, but they're, they're really beyond beyond, okay? But the lower seven, if you want to get a little technical, sometimes they're referred to as the Zion Tachtonum, the seven lower ones. The seven lower spherot are a little bit more relevant to at least what our minds can begin to comprehend. Now, listen carefully. There are seven blessings known as the Sheva Bruchas. Sheva means seven. There's seven blessings that you say under the chuppah that are sort of like basically bringing the, the soul of the bride and groom, the chassan and kala together. Like just remember, they start off as one. They come down into different bodies. And now under the chuppah, we're getting them together, right? So the seven blessings that you say under the chuppah, the sheva bruchas, correlate with the seven lower spherot. Okay? Okay, so that in itself is very interesting. Sheva brachas, the seven lower sphera. Okay, very good. Now, within those seven, those seven can be divided up into two categories. Okay, you have the top six and the bottom one, the seventh. The seventh one is called malchus, right, which refers to the bride, and it also refers to this whole dimension of reality that we all live in. It can also stand for B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish people, right? That's, so there are a lot of different um, values that can be assigned to it. But that's the lower one of the seven. That's, that's, that's the bride right now. The top six, that's often called Zer Anpin, okay? The top six represents, like, the, the more male energy, okay? So that's the male energy. The, the Machus on the bottom, that's the that's, that's, that's the bride. And, or you can look at it a different way. The top six can stand for heaven, and the bottom, the seventh, can stand for earth. Okay? This, this map is, is quite amazing because you'll see that you can apply it to many, many, many different ideas. And you see that everything falls into place, like according to the paradigm that you're, you're learning. It's, it's, it's quite amazing because it's divine, actually. Okay, so now let's get back to the, what my experience was, what, I, what I'm trying to tell you that I was able to kind of like peek behind the curtain of this world, right? Like, what do I mean by that? By the chasen's tish, right, when I was with the groom waiting to see the bride, that's like the top six, right? The bride was on the other side of the property. So in other words, it's like I was up there in heaven, and then she was over there on earth. And I could see what was going on in heaven. <laughs> and I can tell you that it was a very interesting disparity 
of what was going on on earth. Because from the bride's point of view, she was now waiting, I don't know how long, perhaps hours, for this to happen. But, and, and you know, to just to link it with, just to expand the idea for a moment, a lot of times we're wondering, what's going on up in heaven? We're all the bride. Where's my shidduch? Where's my job? Where's my refuah, my health? Where's my kid? Where, we, we have a lot of, where's, and, 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 and we're waiting and we don't know what's going on above. But in this particular moment, I was able to see what was going on above. And what was happening was the blessing was being supercharged. <laughs> I mean, it was waiting to spill over into this world. It was getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And, and, and so from, there was such a disconnect in terms of what the perception was and what was actually happening. And then once we got word, and this is like a very great advertisement for praying, once we got word that the collar was waving, <laughs> again, that's all of us, <laughs> like, no? <laughs> it was like, okay, let's go. I mean, it wasn't my decision to go, it was the Rebbe's decision to go. But then the, the Rebbe then, you know, led this entourage, and then the wedding happened. And it was, it, to me, it was, it, was, it was just a fascinating, just, it was fascinating to see all the dynamics on all the different levels going on, you know? So, Hashem should bless us that all these blessings that are just waiting up in heaven, that are just supercharging, should come down already. And that it should be just the, you know, where it's like right now we're in the express lane toward, toward Rosh Hashanah, right? We're like all the, all the paperwork is being done, so to speak. Everything is being formalized. And we've got this like very wonderful period like coming up right now over the next few weeks where we can really sort of like get our house in order, so to speak, you know, to just like, organize our lives and just get ready to, to, for the storehouse of blessings to come down. And, and you know what? I'm sure that the storehouse of blessings from last Rosh Hashanah are still coming down. So, so let's, let's get those, you know, we don't want to stop those from coming down. You know, we're, you know, as, as uh, my, uh, we, uh, bought a mug recently that said now is good <laughs> so so we'll, we'll, we'll end on that thought now is good 